this morning. I want to remind you, if you missed the sermon out of this series, we do have it on podcast. Um, or uh, the services, except for the problems last week, are online as well. Um, but for some of you, the, the podcast might be good just to kind of catch up because each sermon is in a context. And so it's in a big context. And it's like we're catching a conversation, almost like we're catching a sermon that Paul did, uh, but we're slowing it down because there's so much to it. We're slowing down this sermon. But all that's gone before is important. So last week I talked about we have kind of entered stage two of the gospel. We enter that stage two of the gospel, Romans 3, 21, with those great words, but now the righteousness of God. But now came with this wonderful sense of relief because uh, chapter 1, 1, all the way through 3, uh, 19, or really, yeah, 3, 20, all, all the way through there was an unfolding of what's wrong in the world. And so I encourage you, if you haven't heard that, if you haven't listened to it, at least take some time this week and read it because... It, it, it helps make sense of Christianity when we understand, when people say, if God is good, if God loves humanity, uh, if, if whatever, 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 why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to them? Why is this going on? Why is this not right? Why is this Christian person that I knew and loved uh, betrayed me? Why is, it, it answers that. It says that we are living in a world now that is at war with the kingdom of God. And, and what we are seeing, what we behold is this wrath of God being poured out. When a, when a human being sets their heart, when a country, uh, when a people group set their heart on saying, we will not, we will not be accountable to a holy God. Then God in His mercy and grace does not let them thrive. Oh, they may thrive for a moment, but a philosophy that is based not upon the truth of God and His Word is going to fail. So, in my prayers, I pray for all the variety of, of callings that you have. Sometimes we, you think it's always up to the preacher. If we had better preachers, uh, then the world would be a better place. But, but God's calling is upon every Christian. In fact, you're called ambassadors. You're called saints. And you're sent out. Uh, when I explain our church sometimes to new people, I say, I, I try not to make this so busy. Because I want you involved in things. I want you in, in circles and in clubs. Uh, Harley and Katie talk about clubs in Germany. I want you outside of the doors. I want you being the presence of Christ, the spirit of Christ uh, to a lost and hurting world. So that, that, that's kind of where we got to in, in, in verse 320. And he ends it with this, so that every mouth will be silenced. I mean, it is just a powerful mic drop from the apostle. You are all without excuse before a holy God. Everyone. He starts with the low-hanging fruit, those that we would all say need the gospel, to those that we thought were going to be safe. And, and, and lists all types and in this encompassing swath of you are laid open and bare before the holiness of God. Can I use the illustration of the Grand Canyon? Or just standing on the precipice of an abyss and saying that's where the apostle brings us, that's where the gospel brings us. Uh, to the point where we realize our, our debt and our sin is so great that there is nothing I can do to fix it. What he does now, and, he, and in verse 3, uh, 321 through 26, what he will do now is say, it, it's not really even enough just to cover that chasm. The righteousness of God has been revealed. It's been manifested. It's been shown to us. 
questions. So it's not just, I need to be a better Mark Piper. He says, no, no the righteousness of God is being manifested, and it is like seeing Mount Everest. Anybody see Mount Everest? I saw Mount Everest from an airplane. We're in the clouds, and I see Everest sticking out from the clouds. I was like, oh, what? Uh, that's what's happening. You see, we tend to think that the gospel is that the chasm has been filled by Jesus. His, his, his body, his blood has been given, and so I am, I'm kind of in a, a clean state with God. But the apostle says, no, here's what's so wonderful and so beautiful about it all. Not only is the chasm of your sin covered, but you are given by faith this righteousness that Christ has earned in his life and death in full obedience. So if you ever read through the Gospel of Matthew, specifically with the Jewish people, you hear it over and over again. It talks about the works of Jesus that would say, in order that the law might be fulfilled. He uses that word fulfilled, not obeyed, but fulfilled, because it was also the ceremonial, sacrificial law. Everything pointed to Christ, and Christ comes and fulfills it. Now the apostle says, but now we have seen, we have this revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's where we pick up. Verse 21 of chapter 3. This is God's word. Please stand for the reading of God's word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Um, I put in your outline these two questions. What do we believe and what do we love? It's interesting, as a pastor, sometimes uh, someone will ask me, Hey, Rev, hey, what, what do we believe about X? And it's always it's kind of funny the way it's stated. Uh, what do we believe about abortion? What do we believe about the, the gifts of tongues? What do we believe? And I almost always say, are you asking what the church's doctrine are? Uh, because I, I don't know if you and I believe the same thing. You know, like you're you're you going to say that if I tell you, you'll believe it. Um, and and so in this text, we have faith used three times. And, and faith and belief tied together. And so what you have to ask is, what do I believe? And so when this text plays out in your life, you're going to be face-to-face with, what do I believe? Will I believe? Will I, will I trust in this? And, and what is that going to look like? What do I believe? Uh, sometimes a better question is, what do we love? And both of them are tied in here. Because basically what he's saying is, when this righteousness of God is revealed, and we'll talk about that in a minute, when this righteousness of God is revealed, okay, it, I, I try to figure out ways to illustrate this. 
You know, if, if, if uh, you're a gymnast and you see the, 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 the perfect, perfect, the perfect performance of something, and you look at it and you marvel, and you say, I, I, I love that. It is amazing. It is a goal to work towards. I want to become that. The, the, the righteousness of God is really is this absolute goodness, rightness, purity. Uh, it, 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 is, it is something that is so beautiful to look upon that we, we, we at every instance of it, even a happening or a shadow of it happening in the scriptures, people are afraid of the beauty and the glory. Um, and he's saying it's been revealed. Uh, John Stott says that here's how he defines the righteousness of God. It is a combination of his righteous character, his saving initiative, and his gift of a righteous standing before him. It is his just justification to the unjust. His righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. So when Jesus says, here's what you do, it's so simple. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, the Christian in their life is never retired from this. It is a constant seeking of God's kingdom and his rightness. Then he provides this the, the gospel, which makes us, in, in some sense, anticipate the glory of seeking his righteousness. We're not afraid to see his beauty. We're not afraid to look in the chasm. We're not afraid that we are not enough uh, for his gospel. We'll talk about that in a moment. But his gospel assures us that that's where we are going. You may have told you the story about Dr. Jerem Bars. Dr. Jerem Bars was uh, the Francis Schaeffer lecturer and professor at Covenant Seminary when I was there. And an absolute brilliant mind and a compassionate heart. Um, and we had a three-hour course on apologetics and outreach. Apologetics, defending the faith, outreach, and sharing our faith. And, and he would speak to all manner of things. So he would bring in architecture and art and philosophy and medicine and science and physics. And I mean, he just, it was like he knew everything. And I never forget, uh, right before a bathroom break, someone asked a question. Kind of off the cuff, asked Jerem Bars a question. And he stood there for a second, and he was very, he was, he was, he was kind, he was British. And he said, well, that would be seven things, really. And he listed seven things in order. I mean, when he got to number five, he knew he still had six and seven. And every one of those seven things had Old Testament, New Testament, wisdom, literature, references. And I was sitting there just scrambling, like, everything down, like, oh, that's awesome, oh, that's awesome, oh, I hope I never forget that. Right, just writing it down, just... Just amazed that I was amazed in this man. So, you know, so I was like a fanboy of the, this professor, right? And, and um, we have our bathroom break. And uh, I'm in the men's room with some other students, and and I, uh, I, I I say to one of my buddies, I said, "You know, the question I want to ask him is this, Doctor Bars, how do I get from being me to being you?" And they kind of grinned, and I said, but I'm afraid he'll say, well, Mark, there's 12 things, really. <laughs> so we all kind of laugh, and of course I hear the toilet flush, and out walks Dr. Bars, and there's a grin on his face, right? But, but in, in some sense, that's what the righteousness of God is for us. It is something we're drawn to, it is something we want to own, we want to have it be a part of us. 
in our arguments and our frustration with other people, oftentimes it's because of our, our functioning righteousness is being attacked. What's my functioning righteousness? What functions as Mark Kuyper's righteousness? Am I a good pastor? Am I a good father? What do my kids think of me? What does my wife say about me uh, when she's sitting around the table at girls' middle school? Functioning righteousness. What brings anger if one of my functioning righteousness gets attacked or it's found to be fraudulent? That's the beauty of Christ's righteousness. It's His, and He gives it to us by faith. And so, um, yeah, uh, part two. How, how then do we move from the chasm to the peaks of Christ's righteousness? How will we know and become like Christ? What is there really left to work towards? Um, how will uh, Christ and his gospel not just make sense of all that's broken in our lives and broken in the world and the losses now, a small church like ours, we've shared in a lot of losses, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. How will God make these things right? And the short answer is through justification. If you're a Christian, if you're probably a Christian, I'm not going to make it easier on you. That's the term. We need to understand that term. Uh, when, when the, the local cultist knocks on your door and says, how do you know how do you know you're going to be part of that 144,000? How do you know you're going to be... How do, you, how do you know you can look at them square in the eye and say, because I have been justified in the courtroom of God. In the almighty courtroom of God, I have been justified. That's how I know. And so uh, this morning, uh, the title of the sermon is Balance Transfer, and that's another way of looking at um, justification. It is really this heart of the gospel. Through justification, we are assured, we are saved, we are declared righteous. So um, it's interesting that, so this, this word and this concept goes throughout the rest of Romans. So if I don't make sense this morning, uh, please go back and study it. Just, just study it on your own. Look it up. Do a verse search of it and see how it shows up everywhere. Uh, when we get to Romans 5, the apostle is going to point back to it and say, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he's encouraging the people in their Christian life, we have peace with God. Why? Because we've been justified. We have peace with God. And we've obtained access into His grace. Why? Because we've been justified. And we stand in His grace. Why? Because we've been justified. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, He says. Why? Because we've been justified. Verse 3, how powerful is this? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. How many times, oh Christian, when you suffer, do you think I'm suffering because I've stepped out of His will? I'm suffering because I may not be justified. Or he's saying, no, you have been. And therefore, you look at everything differently. Romans 8, when we get to the, the end of Romans 8, maybe the most glorious chapter in the Bible, he says, those who he predestined, he called. Those he called, 
he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So this morning's sermon in a sentence. This is just classic typerism. I've been out 20 minutes and we're just in the introduction. I know, you guys are used to it. Uh, sermon in a sentence. Faith's function as a Christian is to believe what grace is. Function of our faith is to believe what grace offers. And I think it's really important that we grasp that concept uh, because especially in our culture, but in many evangelical cultures, uh, faith in God has all variant understandings and presentations. So I run into it all the time here, and I'm sure everywhere it happens. People will say, I believe in God for this. Oftentimes it's an outcome. You know, my husband was sick and I had faith that God would heal him and he didn't. Why did God let me down? Right? And you'll, you'll run into that. If you haven't, you'll run into that in our culture. I had faith that, that we would carry our child to full term and he didn't. What is wrong? Why is that? Uh, Christian faith is choosing to believe what God has promised, what his grace has offered. Uh, Christian faith is not some instrument that binds God to our will. Binds God so that I believed enough. Even if you don't want to do it, God, I believed so I've heard this before. I believed it so much that he will do it. No, that's not Christian faith. Faith function as a Christian to believe what grace offers. So first point, we've already talked about it a bit. What is justification? John, you can go to that next slide. What is justification? I, I took it out of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Question 70 asks this question. What is justification? Now, it's interesting because as you look at this answer, you see, uh, you really see how we get liturgy. Okay? How, we get, how we get liturgy, how we get catechisms, and how we get confessions. It is man's way of trying to describe concepts. So justification is all the way throughout the Bible. But as you look at this answer, you'll see that you can take this, almost this entire answer, just from these verses that we have this morning. Justification is an act of God's free grace. You see that in verse 24. Unto sinners, verse 23, in which he pardons all their sins, accepts and accounts their persons righteous in his sight, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ by God, imputed to them, and received by faith alone. Verses 22, 25, and 26 tie that idea of faith alone. So when we talk about justification, it is different than is commonly used. Right? Oftentimes we use the word justification in, in kind of the, the human cultural sense. It's, I'm making an excuse for what I did. Right? I'm justifying my behavior. Stop trying to justify yourself, right? We hear that. That's, that's not this, uh, this definition. Um, also, you, heard, you might have heard in Christian circles a kind of a shallower definition, justification. Uh, this is how I learned it. means just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. And again, that's only half, right? That's, that's filling the chasm of my sin. Justification is I receive by faith what Christ has earned for so it's much more than forgiveness. Forgiveness has that negative condition. Justification has this glorious condition uh, that should lead us to, to respond in worship. Justification is a legal term. Uh, in the courtroom, it's, it's, it's being declared righteous. Uh, so you are declared righteous. By God in this courtroom, you have been declared righteous. And so when it says imputed and not infused, what, it, what they're saying there is, is we're not actually righteous. One more second. We're declared as such. 
And so God, through his process of the spirit and the word and community and fellowship, is, is making us actually righteous to when we are with him, we will be glorified, we will be actually righteous, but we are declared. So it's a legal term saying you are declared, but you're not actually righteous. Not an infusion, but an imputation. Uh, as the reformers said, at the same time, righteous and a sinner. That is justification. Jesus' last words on the cross, it is... All right, this is your turn to respond. It is... It is finished. Not, it is possible. It could happen. It may be enough. It is finished, he cries out. Oh, Christian, does that not give you just chills? He completed his work for our salvation, our justification. You know what his last words were? Uh, behold, O oh monks, this is my last advice to you. All component things in the world are changeable. They are not lasting. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Or some say, work out your own salvation with care. Oh. What an awful last word, huh? You know what I think about? I think about Saving Private Ryan. Right there, right when he's dying. You've seen Saving Private Ryan. It's not in my nose. Right when he's dying, Tom Hanks looks at Ryan. What does he say? All these men have been killed to rescue him. Tom Hanks looks at Ryan and goes, earn this. It's not the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? That's not Christianity. Christ doesn't stand over us and say, I've given you all of this. Can't you do a bit more? love towards me. Seek my righteousness. For in that you'll find the greatest. Um, that's justification. So what does that mean for us? At first, I think we should at times just pause and be thankful that this exists. <laughs> There's time in Christians like where, oh, thank you, Lord, for this conference. I've tried and I've been found wanting. <sighs> thank you, Father, for this doctrine. Thank you for this glorious gift. Thank you that you offer justification to me, to us. Secondly, it is not a right. It's not a right. We don't have that right to justification. Increasingly in our world, we are just creating a generation of people who have every type of right imaginable. I remember when Burger King said, have it your way. So I must have been about 12 and I just remember thinking, wow, a restaurant's going to cook food the way you like it? Man, that's an easy day before that, huh, Chef? Have it our way or go somewhere else. It's not a right. I think also we need to stop portraying our God as some needy deity who is begging for us to affirm him, uh, but rather an offended deity who offers to us his very own son in our place. So if we've grasped some small part of what justification is, previous three chapters, why we need it, then the question becomes, secondly in our outline, what is the source of my justification? We'll go through this quickly. But what is the source of my justification? So I've been declared a sinner. God is both just, it says, and the justifier. So what happens with my sin? 
Right? What happens with my sin? You can go to a courtroom today and someone's stolen $10,000 from you, and the judge can say you're forgiven, but there's still $10,000 out there, right? There's still some debt that has to be paid. So um, how, how is this going to happen? Where will my justification come from? Verse 24 says it comes from God and His grace. The Father initiates salvation by His grace. The source of that grace is the Father. Grace is God loving, God stooping, God coming to the rescue, God giving Himself generously in and through Christ Jesus, His Son. What is the source of my justification? Now, I mentioned earlier in my introduction that we have various, uh, each of us has a a various sense of self-righteousness. Right? And, and so, um, what we do and what we confess as Christians is we actually confess our self-righteousness to God. Father, I thought I'm something and I thought you loved me uh, because I give 10%. Father, I think that you, know, you should accept me and receive me because I never ever miss church. Um, or I'm not as bad as those around me. Uh, all of those things are other forms of righteousness. The Christian has just a wonderful relief of saying, uh, my justification is a gift from the Father. It is a balance transfer. So it's interesting when you do weddings, when I did weddings in St. Louis, strong Roman Catholic influence. And so we have these weddings with a Roman Catholic and a Protestant um, together. And um, if it was a Catholic wedding, you'd take the Lord's Prayer. It would be funny because all the Presbyterians would be in there and they start to say the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the Lord's Prayer for Presbyterians is debts because we love money. And uh, the one for the Catholics is trespassing because they hate poachers. Uh, come on, that's funnier than that. <laughs> right? But, but it's this idea, right? How do we explain what we've got to do? Is he just forgetting that? I'm, you know, I'm, one of the things I like better about the Reformation and the, and the way we translate that is it's not just a trespass, it's not even just doing wrong, but there's a sense of death. I've been given life, I've been saved and called and have a purpose in it. He's drawn out my life for me. It's Mount Everest, my debt is great, and yet He forgives those things. So, what's the grounds then? If it comes from the grace, what's the grounds? Well, the grounds are Christ and His cross. So that allows our God again to be just and the justifier. So um, if God was to just say your sins don't matter, right, then that would be unjust of Him. And again, if you're a Christian and one of your greatest struggles is evil in the world, and why is God allowing this to happen? I just encourage you that this text says He is passing over right now. He is in His divine forbearance. But there is a day of judgment coming. And how awful it will be for those who have not turned to Christ. Um, but his source, or the grounds of my justification, is Christ and his cross. So verse 24, we're justified by his grace as a gift. And he uses three words. We're going to go through them fast. He uses redemption, propitiation, and then it's ter- interpreted to show, uh, but to demonstrate. Okay, so first, how, what are the grounds? Redemption. Okay, our redemption is in Christ. It's a merchant word used as a slave would be redeemed. He would be brought back in order to be set free. I have been redeemed. I was a slave to sin and to the passions of this life. And I have been redeemed. I have been brought back. That's how he does it. Propitiation is to placate someone's anger. 
It's an appeasing of someone's anger. Our God has righteous anger towards sin and sinful people. Only in the gospel is the sinner and the sin separated. They are conjoined together for all of eternity until Christ comes and rescues us. And then in that manner, He's loving the sinner and He is dealing with their sin. Propitiation placates someone's anger. People don't like to think of an angry God. I like to think of an angry God in this manner as a father who takes vengeance on those who hurt his children righteously. And we applaud it. A loving father who has vengeance righteously upon all evil. In number 16, we see Aaron running through the temple with a censer. In number 16, uh, the anger of God is being poured out on the people for their outright refusal to follow Him and turn away from the idols of the nations around Him. And the plague of God is coming through. And Aaron comes through with a censer. as a prefiguration of Christ coming. And when we talk about God smelling things, I mean, it's, so the censer comes in and God's wrath is stopped. David does the same thing in 2 Samuel 24. The plague of the Lord is coming. And in 2 Samuel 24, he cries out. That is a prefiguration of Christ. King David cries out, Lord, stop the plague. Propitiation. Not God as a cranky old codger, but a righteous father executing righteous judgment on those who stand guilty. And then he says it's demonstrated, or in our text uh, it says to show. What does he show? He shows God's righteousness in the past. Formerly he passed over former sin. So when we do communion, this falls in line with the Passover, right? Uh, when the blood was put on the doorpost of the Hebrews. The blood was put on the doorpost. Uh, why? Because the Hebrews were just as sinful and guilty in the sight of God as the Egyptians. And so the angel of death, right? The angel of God's wrath came in that moment in human history to pour out God's wrath on the evil. And when he come to the door of a Hebrew, he would see blood on the doorpost. And that blood pointed the righteous, sufficient blood of Christ that would come. The lamb didn't take it away. He says here, it was because God was passing over. It was almost as if there's a reminder set in God's eyes. Here comes the judgment. Oh, my son's blood is going to take that away. My son's blood is going to remove that from there. And so he demonstrates God's righteousness in the past, but then God's righteousness in the present. The work of Christ being culminated in his crucifixion. Uh, Dr. Cranfield writes, God, because in his mercy, he willed to forgive sinful people, and being truly merciful, willed to forgive them righteously. That is, without in any way condoning their sin. Right? So when we preach the gospel, oftentimes a person's response is, so you're saying it's all of Christ, so I can sin. And, and, I, and I like to say that if your mind goes there, you actually are starting to understand grace. Because the first thing we want to do as a sinful person is take advantage of it. Right? And, and my answer to them always is, when the Spirit comes in, you are a new creation. So yes, your sin after you have been saved, after you've been cleansed, uh, is not going to send you back to hell. But it, by the power of the Spirit, will bring you toward repentance. Um, he willed to forgive them righteously, that's without in any way condoning their sin. Purpose to direct against his very own self in the person of his son the full weight of that righteous wrath which they 
deserved. He is therefore both just as a judge, his justice is perfect and holy, but he's also the justifier. Lastly, maybe most important, what is our means then of justification? We've seen what it is, where it comes from, but how does it become good? The scriptures don't teach a universal that that Christ's death is going to save every human being that's ever born. No, they make very exclusive statements. It is to those who believe. It is to those who have faith. Three times in this section, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ, to be received by faith. The one who has faith in Jesus. As I said at the beginning, Faith's function as a Christian is to believe what grace offers. How am I justified? And I understand it because I feel it. Sometimes we want some external way of being certain that we're a Christian. And so we may even look to the day we were baptized or the day we walked the aisle or, uh, and, and say that, that that's, you know, faith says I, I always am looking at Christ. How do I know I'm saved? Because I'm looking at Christ. How do I know I'm saved? Because Jesus didn't fail. Faith in, in, in this sense is, well, you can think of that chasm. And there's a suspension bridge going across that chasm. I have fear of heights. Okay? Suspension bridge going across that chasm. I may look at that suspension bridge and I may say, yeah, I believe that will hold me. I do. I, I believe it will hold me. And then someone says, okay, walk it. Faith, I think, moves uh, us from that, I believe in a concept, to I'm stepping out. And I'm entrusting my life. And, and it's, there's different degrees of faith. And there's Jairus who, who is told, if you have faith, you know, I'll save your daughter. And he says, I, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, we sing that song at times. Help my unbelief. Um, but for the Christian, we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. By grace alone. To the glory of God alone. That's our justification. And so when we go on this walk together of a Christian life, that's what preaching the gospel to one another is going to be like. We're stressed, we're worried, we're angry, we don't want to be reconciled. The believer points to the righteousness of Christ. Are you holding on to your right to be angry with this person? Are you holding on uh, to your right to not forgive this person? Are you holding on, what, what, what are you doing when you're in despair, when you're afraid? These last two years for me, I fought despair at every turn. And I've prayed about it, I've given it to the Lord, I've done what I can, and I like like, Lord, I, there's no reason for me as a minister of your gospel to have seen in my life the place to spare. Mark, what part of the gospel are you not believing right now? What part of Christ's righteousness do you think is not enough for you? The beautiful text for us, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. And when it's given to us, when we study Christ, when we see his righteousness, and again, it should bring such gratitude in our hearts. God is giving that to me.
It is what I need and it's what he will do if I put my faith and my trust in him. And so maybe at the simplest terms to think of it as a balance transfer. Christian through justification. Because what I'm bringing to you, O oh God, is all that is wrong and sinful. Some of it I don't even know. Right? I am giving that to you. And I'm receiving with hands of faith the righteousness of Christ. I'm believing that, that you will give it to me. This amazing gift. But I haven't won it by my good efforts. But it's all of your grace. And I will receive it. Now we see that in the sacrament. We see that why Christ said do this often. Um, because I need to be personally reminded all the time that my righteousness is not anything I've done. I've been justified by the work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful and good news. May we never, ever get over it. May we be ever wary of the enemy creeping in and trying to question it. The same time that the enemy says we're free to sin and then turns around and says you must not be justified because look at what you did. Oh Lord, may we claim what is given to us by grace. May we point the finger at any accuser and say, it is not me, but it is Christ in me. This hope of glory. May we rest in it. May we be a people of great hope, great anticipation. May we be children that are overwhelmed by the unearned love of you, our Heavenly Father. We lead us now in this sacrament, Father, we set apart this bread and this grape juice. May they be, Father, these mysterious instruments in our lives to confirm that it is finished, it is enough. Christ has done it. That the chasm has been cleansed and we have been brought to the mountain. We've been seated, as the apostles say, in the heavenly realms with you, O Christ. We might rejoice. We ask this in Jesus' name, for his sake.